Don't you want devoted followers who leave their families for you, give their money to you, give their bodies to you, give up their lives for you, consider you God, and will kill for you? Don't you want to become a cult leader? Hello and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we also veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. This week's podcast will be on a cult called The Twelve Tribes, suggested to me by our friend Hager underscore MR, so thanks for the suggestion. This cult was founded by Eugene Spriggs, so let's start with him. Albert Eugene Spriggs was born on May 18, 1937 in East Ridge, Tennessee, so let's get into some history for that time. On June 1, 1937, Amelia Earhart and her flight navigator, Fred Noonan, took off from Miami to attempt a round-the-world flight. And after traveling 22,000 miles, they took off from New Guinea for about the last 7,000 miles or so. On her last recorded radio broadcast, she was heard saying, quote, we are on the line 157337, unquote. She was never heard from again, and though there are many who believe they know what happened to her or where the plane actually crashed, what happened to her is still officially a mystery. Also this year, the German airship the Hindenburg left Frankfurt, Germany on its way to Lakehurst, New Jersey. While attempting to dock there, it burst into flames, killing 35 passengers, crew, and one person on the ground. The event was recorded, so you can Google it and see it if you'd like. Aviator Howard Hughes this year broke his own transcontinental flight speed record when he flew from Los Angeles to Newark. He made that flight in seven hours, 28 minutes and 25 seconds. British author J.R.R. Tolkien published his fantasy novel, The Hobbit, and it quickly became quite popular. It was actually nominated for the Carnegie Medal Award for Children's Literature, and of course we're all familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies. In Chicago, the first blood bank opened in 1937, established by Dr. Bernard Fantis. His facility stored and preserved blood, making medical procedures so much easier for doctors who now didn't have to have a donor right there and present. Also in 1937, San Francisco's iconic Golden Gate Bridge was opened. The construction started in 1933, and it cost $35 million to complete. King George VI became the British monarch this year. England also started their 999 emergency telephone service. Some notable birthdays this year are some of my most favorite actors. 
Anthony Hopkins, Warren Beatty, Bill Cosby, Morgan Freeman, Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, and Colin Powell. The average cost of a new house was about $4,100, or rent was $26 a month. Give or take, this is an average. The average yearly wage was $1,780. A gallon of gas was just 10 cents. So this gives us a sense of what the atmosphere was the year that Eugene was born. Now, it really was surprisingly hard to find information about Eugene, especially regarding his childhood and his upbringing, but I will give you what I have. Eugene's parents were Albert Eugene Spriggs Sr. and Mabel Lucille Wilson. The two were from Tennessee and had settled in Chattanooga. Albert worked in a factory as well as being a scoutmaster, and all sources say he was a deeply religious man, but very generous and charitable, as well as being very well respected in his community. Albert and Mabel had Eugene, as I'm going to call him, in 1937, but his parents nicknamed him Gene. By all accounts, he had a normal childhood, outside of having to go to church three times a week. He was also disciplined very, very harshly, but it was stated that his father was proud of him and Eugene wanted very much to please his father. He respected his father tremendously. But as Eugene grew and became a younger teen, the peer pressure he experienced to fit in with the other kids was apparently enough for him to begin to give in to those temptations of the times. He, of course, began to hang out with his friends after school, which morphed into smoking and drinking, which morphed into going to parties as teenagers sometimes do. On top of that, Eugene was popular and was also a bit of a talented football player, so much so that he even won a football scholarship to the University of Chattanooga. But according to the 12 Tribes website, Eugene knew he was a disappointment to his father, or at least his behavior was very disappointing, and he felt really bad about that. He rushed into a marriage at 19 years old, which didn't last very long. The two were divorced in 1960. But after high school, he used his football scholarship to study psychology. Yes, folks, psychology. Once he graduated, he married again and was also drafted into the army. Now, while in the army, due to his college degree, he was given the task of performing psychological testing for new recruits. Yes, second level psychological testing. His army career lasted all of one year and he was released in 1963. Eugene immediately went into teaching at a high school and being a guidance counselor, level three. Life settled a bit for him and he and his wife had their son, Tyron. 
Then, sometime in the mid-60s, he was offered a job at the carpet manufacturer factory that his father had always worked for. The business was called Dixie Yarns, and they were expanding, branching out, building two additional facilities. Eugene was in charge of hiring the hundreds of new and needed employees, level four. I mean, we can see that with a psychology degree and then learning the psychological factors that the army is looking for for acceptable soldiers, which is trainability, moldability, conformity. He was a high school teacher around teenagers, influencing teenagers, and a guidance counselor. And now we see that he was in charge of hiring hundreds of new employees at this factory. I mean, you see where I'm going, guys. For years, Eugene was basically the manager of the HR or human resources department, and he made very good money. He too was very well respected and he was great at his job, but again, was letting societal pressures get the best of him. Now what these pressures were was not immediately clear, but it's hinted that he got to travel the world and he took on a more carefree lifestyle. He effectively abandoned his wife and son and the marriage ended in divorce. Now Eugene's father, very aware of his son's quote, wayward ways, was dying in 1966. From his deathbed, his father pleaded with him to quote, get right with God and Eugene assured his father that he would. But at first he didn't. He remarried again in 1969, eager to start a whole new family, a whole new situation. But we all know what the late 60s were about, right? And Eugene claimed he was not comfortable with the loose morals of the times. And just as the first two did, his third marriage was not a good fit for him, I suppose. So he decided to travel to California to visit relatives and look for work and, you know, get a fresh start. He made it as far as Alabama so that he could visit a friend who owned a carnival and he was offered to stay for a while and work, to which Eugene accepted. So around this time, we begin to get the first reports of what his true personality was like. He was obviously a former athlete and he did keep himself in shape. He was educated and people described him as charismatic, which is not going to surprise any of us. He was described as a man who, quote, had a presence about him. It was also around the same time that Eugene reportedly heard the voice of God ask him, quote, is this why I created you? And this apparently shook him to his core. He looked around him. He saw the kinds of people, you know, walking around the carnival and their behaviors and whatnot. And he walked out right then and there. Eugene supposedly went to his motel room dropped to his knees and prayed. Here's an excerpt from the 12 tribes website, quote, crying out to the one who had asked him that question. He told his creator that he knew the way he was living was not what he had been created for. 
He expressed deep sorrow for how he had let his life run out of control since he had been a teenager. He did not know what he had been created to do, but he wanted to be saved from the sins that kept him from doing it, and he wanted others to find out what they were created for, too. Unquote. So at this point, Eugene was 33 years old. It's 1970. He continued on to California, newly motivated to change his way of thinking and how he was living his life. Once he arrived, he saw that the whole Jesus movement was in full swing. Think back to my podcast about the children of God. So let me give you a clearer picture of what the Jesus movement was and some of why it was occurring. The 1960s counterculture and the 1967 Summer of Love saw thousands and thousands of young hippies make their way to the Haight-Ashbury area of San Francisco. Think The Doors, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and one of my favorites, Jefferson Airplane and their song, White Rabbit. This was a time where young adults were breaking free of their strict ancestral and societal rules. They wanted to celebrate personal expression, experiment with drugs, be able to have free sex. This young generation wanted to abandon the materialistic lifestyle they saw society heading toward and they just wanted a more simple life. But with the experimentation of drugs, they were also seeking out other spiritual avenues beyond the various churches that, you know, they had been raised in. People were meditating, experimenting with the occult. There was kind of sprinkles of Buddhism, Krishna consciousness, and even Native American spirituality. And this all sounds super amazing, except with the drugs came the dependency, the sex, unwanted pregnancies, and STDs. Many were homeless, penniless, and would sleep wherever they landed. So it was during this very crucial, pivotal time when they began to realize this movement wasn't as fulfilling as they had hoped. In came the hippies who were evangelists, the quote, Jesus freaks, not my label, by the way. They urged people to abandon their loose and wild lifestyle and come back to God. And it worked for a great number of people. This group still agreed with many of the ideals of the times, you know, living simply and loving everyone, peace and so on, but without the negative stuff. They advertised that they'd all be one big happy family. We see this with other cults like Jim Jones, Charles Manson. I mean, the list is long. So this was the atmosphere that Eugene arrived in California during. He stated that as he walked along a beach in Santa Monica, he rededicated his life to Jesus. He uses John 15:5 as his spiritual truth. Quote, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He noticed immediately that people were once again excited about their belief in the Christian God. And he joined right in, you know, praying with people, distributing literature on the streets and so on. He volunteered at a rescue mission and preached along with others that God was a gentle God and wanted to heal them of their burdens. Eugene spent the next couple of years preaching and spreading the word in Southern California, and then he traveled to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Now, while in Wyoming, he met a young woman named Marsha. Marsha was an atheist. She hadn't been raised in the church at all. She had studied philosophy in college and found religion to be hypocritical. She dropped out of college and moved to Jackson Hole, a small village, wanting to get closer to nature and live a peaceful life. She met Eugene and was drawn to him, though she thought his deep religiousness was kind of ridiculous. But then he started preaching to her about how, you know, Jesus loved the world and everyone in it, and she began asking the questions that most atheists ask. And rather than give her the usual excuses, Eugene flat out told her that he didn't have the answers but that it wasn't Jesus' fault that people didn't obey. According to their official website, this is all it took to convert Marsha. The two got married in 1972 and traveled back to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where they joined a Presbyterian church. It was during this time that he began to put together the ideas that he would later implement in his group, the Twelve Tribes. He and Marsha also sort of opened a coffee house business out of their home. They called it the Lighthouse. They preached to the teens that would come to get coffee, and a small movement was born from that. That was called Light Brigade. So as this group slowly grew, they began to live communally, meaning all together. After a year, Eugene and Marcia opened their first restaurant that they called the Yellow Deli. They all went together to a church who really wasn't very happy that they brought with them young people from all races and walks of life. Now, in early January 1975, the Light Brigade, if you will, showed up to church only to find it had been closed due to the Super Bowl. And side note, for those that aren't from the U.S., the Super Bowl is just the last American football game of the year. Now this, of course, was unacceptable to Eugene and his following, so they started their own church that they called, quote, the Vine Christian Community Church. Vine being the street that they were all communally living on. Now, the yellow deli was used to recruit new followers, and the employees of the deli weren't paid a wage at all. They worked in exchange for free room and board. This, of course, showed huge profits for Eugene because, you know, he didn't have to pay anyone. 
They also began to expand, opening churches along with yellow delis in Georgia, Alabama, and another one in Tennessee. They started holding their own services that they called, quote, crucial mass, which was when the group would just suddenly and spontaneously all start praying at the exact same time. They began baptizing people outside of any denominational authority. The local Christian community was not having it, and they began to complain to the, quote, parents' committee to free our children from the children of God and the, quote, Citizens Freedom Foundation. They accused the Vine Christian Community Church of being a cult, with Eugene being the leader. Now, as with any new movement, cult, what have you, there are rules. So here are a few of Eugene's. Women should be subservient to men. Quote, their primary purpose is to have children and raise them. Other women may work 14 to 16 hours a day for the group. Unquote. Corporal punishment is essential to raising children. And a common punishment is, quote, being beaten on the bottom of your feet with a cane dipped in resin, unquote. Eugene began teaching that, yes, children are to be beat with a rod, as the Bible teaches, and that they should be disciplined harshly and often, before the age of four mostly, so that in a way their spirit is broken, like an animal, and they no longer have a will of their own. And this discipline could be inflicted from anyone else in the group if they thought the child was being disrespectful. The end result is a breakdown of the self and total devotion to the group. Eugene, who began calling himself, quote, the prophet Yonick, also began preaching that Quote, black people are destined for slavery and homosexuals should be put to death. Unquote. Eugene taught that homosexuality was indeed a capital offense and would later claim that he cured some of being gay. Interracial marriages were outlawed, quote, as their goal is to not create one gray human being. Unquote. Slavery is sanctioned. He said, quote, It is sometimes the only way for some people to be useful in society. If American slaves were mistreated, it was the fault of the slave. Unquote. Eugene also teaches that Jews were guilty of the blood of Christ, but then he maintains that they're not anti-Semitic because they observe the Sabbath, Yom Kippur, and the youth have bar mitzvahs. Now, to be clear, they intentionally hide what they call the hard words from newer members until they, the leaders of the community, decide that the newer member is ready, which is to say fully assimilated and with nowhere else to go because they've given up all of their possessions, they've left their loved ones behind, they've burned all their bridges as the community of the 12 tribes teaches you to do. Once, Eugene showed up to a new follower's parents' house when the parents tried to forbid their daughter from joining the group. 
the mother said that they were a Christian family and therefore her daughter didn't need to move onto the whole commune thing with them. Eugene looked that mother straight in the face and said, quote, It's because of mothers like you that I have to rescue girls like her. Unquote. The group continually reminded this girl that Satan was working through her parents to poison her mind. She did finally escape a little over a year later. So there's some insight. Now, in the late 70s, the group began to spread northward to Vermont and opened a church called the Northeast Kingdom Community Church. Eugene began referring to all other denominations of Christianity as the harlot, more commonly known as the whore of Babylon associated with the literal Antichrist. The delis down south began to flounder and the group was in debt, so they did reluctantly close many of the delis and churches down there, at least at that point, and they stayed in Vermont. Some groups began accusing the 12 tribes, as they are now known, of mind control and severe child abuse. Children are homeschooled exclusively and are subjected to child labor, basically slavery. The group has been accused of breaking child labor laws. They retorted with the fact that the businesses were, you know, family-owned businesses, and therefore the children were just helping out. But they have been found guilty on occasion and fined. The mind control consisted of super heavy thought reform, which included rules about how often men who were single should masturbate, which, by the way, is every other day or maybe every three days. And while committing the act, you are not allowed to be thinking about anything at all, that it is to be a, quote, mechanical release. There is also an apparent and very descriptive that I'm not going to get into way to use toilet paper as well. Now, people that lived near the 12 tribes that either witnessed the child abuse or found out about it complained. People found out that members were working an insane amount of hours per day with no days off in the delis. And then the other businesses that began to spring up from the group. And yet, like in 1984, the Vermont State Police and Vermont Social Rehabilitation Services were forced to release 112 children that they had actually seized from the group based on the raid being deemed unconstitutional and then somehow the case was dropped in 1985. By 1989 the group was just widely accepted at this point and began to grow exponentially including branches popping up in Canada, Australia, Brazil, Spain, Germany, Argentina, and even in the UK. They were working under the name Messianic Communities then. As of 2008, they have reopened a yellow deli in Chattanooga after nearly 30 years of leaving. Some of the names of their businesses are Parchment Press, BOJ Construction, Commonwealth Construction, Greener Formulas, Common Sense Farm, Simon the Tanner, 
common ground and of course their yellow delis. So in July 2019, supposedly the FBI has released a 40-page summary from their investigation into the group, namely the child abuse. However, I couldn't find the results of this. So, so far this year, 2020, the Australian authorities have put together their own group and executed a search warrant to look into the child abuse allegations. Germany's communes have been raided and 40 children were removed after proved abuse. There are searches being conducted as of this week, March 18th, 2020, for the remains of suspicious stillborns in New South Wales, Australia. Adults who grew up in the cult speak about getting upwards of 30 spankings a day, sometimes starting as young as six months old. They say the leaders controlled their medical care, controlled their food, they controlled when married couples could have sex, and how often people are allowed to see their own families. And the 12 tribes is still very much around. And if you try to find out whether or not Eugene is still alive, good luck. Let me know, because I could find nothing saying that he had died or where he is currently, nothing. So if he is still alive, he is now 83 years old. Their website has Eugene's biography on there, as well as a lot of very... I would say interesting media. It's 12tribes.org. So if you go to 12tribes.org and you click on articles at the top, there's a picture of a kid at some sporting event and the title of that card says, quote, when the spanking stopped, all hell broke loose, unquote. I clicked on it which took me to a video where they are basically saying you have to beat your child with a switch in order for them to respect and love you. Now, according to Psychology Today, spanking is associated with less compliance than other forms of discipline. It causes physical pain, which leads to fear and confusion in children, which then interrupts the lesson the parents are trying to teach the children. Also, using aggressive punishments as discipline for aggressive behavior actually backfires. Using violence to solve violence is not a good way to do it. And finally, it leads to increased negative behaviors. But, you know, guys, that's a whole other study and a whole other podcast. Thanks for listening.